Hello and welcome to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. My name is Kathleen Huth. I am a pediatrician at Boston Children's Hospital and your host for this episode. In this podcast series, we seek to discuss emerging evidence in the care of children with medical complexity and its implications for practice. Typically, we have conversations with authors of recently published studies, but this month we have a special episode. As we were reaching the end of 2023, Christy, Emily, Kilby, and I looked back at all of the articles we discussed this past year, and we noted that four of the recently highlighted articles had been published in Pediatrics. We spoke with Michelle Watkinson in August about a systematic review of community interventions for children with medical complexity, with Stephanie Ames in September about disability-based discrimination in healthcare, with Mark Britton in October about paid family caregiving, and with Catherine Diskin and Kate Robinson in November about family partnership in developing a continuing education series. So today, we are having a conversation about the role of a journal in changing practice in complex care and disability. Pediatrics is the official peer-reviewed journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. I am delighted to have Dr. Lewis First, Editor-in-Chief of Pediatrics since 2009, and Ms. Kara Coleman, Associate Editor for Family Partnerships for Pediatrics, here with me today. Lewis and Kara, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting us, Katie. It's great to be here, and I'm thrilled that you have been using some of our articles as a source for discussion on the podcast. It's great. Yeah. Hello, Katie. And hi, Lewis. I'm so glad to be here with you all. The literature in the care of children with medical complexity and disability has grown exponentially in the past decade. And I think that pediatrics is really seen as an important home for literature on complex care. I was wondering if you can share a bit about how the journal has evolved over time, leading to unique article types and roles and to our conversation here today. I'll start in saying that before I became an editor and landed in Vermont, where I oversee the Department of Pediatrics, as, as was mentioned, and edit the journal, uh, I was at Boston Children's Hospital, where one of my duties was to help provide care for children with medical complexity. And I think that was a phenomenal experience, I hope, for the families that I was part of their team for, but also for myself in understanding that it takes a village surrounding a child to really demonstrate shared decision-making in a cohesive, collaborative way. So now we'll move time up. And when I became editor of the journal in 2009, I realized that what may have been the structure for a medical journal of the past is not what we need for the present and the future. So it became clear to me that we needed to bring the voice of families, the voice of children into the journal in articles that may never have appeared in a format as we now do in pediatrics before, but that was the launching point for the family partnerships column. If I had been involved in so many care conversations with families, with care providers, with nurses, with staff regarding a child with medical complexity, why not bring those voices into the journal as well? And we've done that, both from an editorial board standpoint, as well as from the content of the journal. Yes, we have scientific studies that you have saluted on your podcast, but we also have articles like Family Partnerships, and I'll let Kara chime in here because she's the editor of this section, that the focus is really making sure that the voice of families, the voice of, of caregivers is quite clear in the role that they play in the care of a child in an issue in care of children with medical complexity. So maybe my background in understanding what it means to provide care as a pediatrician, be part of a team then saying, how can we make sure the journal reflects what the care system is like in how we communicate? And that was the start of family partnerships. 
I love Lewis and your answer, how you focus so much on voice. And what I think is so unique in the way that I've tried to help shape how this article type develops is that it's actually the voice of partnerships. It's called family partnerships, right? But that it's the voice of the village. And so making sure that all of the key voices that were involved in either an individual care of a child or in a quality improvement project or continuing medical education or in some sort of systems change that all of the voices, that collective voice, the team voice, whatever we want to call it, is put forth together and making sure that it's not just a quote or a perspective, but that it's almost as if the partnership and the team is continuing to work through the article. Initially, when I came on, it seemed like there was more articles that were maybe quoting a family member and they weren't as an author. And so the way that we've kind of reviewed and given feedback and brought the articles along and process has been more to not tokenize voices, but really make sure that there is a family, patient, caregiver, whoever it is, voice that is author and sharing a lot of how to and lessons learned, like how did we do this? I can hear the passion in both of your voices as you speak about this, and I love this concept that the team-based approach to clinical care is reflected in a journal article type. Kara, it sounds like you've really shaped a lot of what Family Partnerships is all about since you started in 2021. How did you become involved with the journal? I'm going to go back in a little bit of storytelling and, and a bit of my journey um, but I was practicing as an immigration attorney. And when I shifted my perspective, when my second child was born with multiple disabilities and medical complexity, I shifted to what do I do in healthcare? And I'm navigating this personally. And how can I work on it professionally? Um, and I started in medical education at a regional campus of Virginia Commonwealth University. And right away came upon family partnerships. And I'd contemplated for years writing about the medical education work I was doing in partnership with pediatricians, but never got to that. And so when they created an actual associate editor position, which was really unique and really special and demonstrates the commitment to partnership and to this collective voice of, you know, creating a public member role on the executive editorial board, I applied and was extremely lucky um, to have been selected. It's been such a tremendous learning experience in watching it evolve. When I started, I thought the first step was to bring public members onto the editorial board, not as associate editors. And this is like in continuous quality improvement. We brought public members in to begin to do things like look at the language we use when we review papers. We actually have a separate review process that makes sure that we are using our public members to truly say, are we on target? Is this something that families would be interested in? Let's hear your voice behind the scenes in the review process. It wasn't just this column of family partnerships. We began to see how families play a role in so many facets and sections of the journal that it became clear that we, just in the same way of inclusiveness, that when we have an executive group of editors who meet monthly to think about how we're going to continue to move the journal forward so it meets the needs of children and families, that we needed to have a public member or caregiver um, sitting in the room where it happens and beginning to look at the different ways we can not only publish these articles, but communicate them and make sure that they are free to all families. And so family partnerships, even if you're not a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics, we release these articles to the world to make sure 
that families get them. And then we need to make sure that they understand them. So I'm going to toss it back to the character because she has done an amazing job at finding different ways to get the voice of families in the journal into empowerment of families to take what we're publishing, not just these articles, and bring those to their healthcare professional. Carrie, you want to talk about the process? I guess my answer starts with, I so appreciate, Lewis, the vision and the guidance that you and the deputy editor, Alex Kemper, give and valuing, you just use the language, continuous quality improvement. We're willing to continuously engage in quality improvement of how we make editorial decisions, what kind of articles we deliver, how we all work together within the journal as well. I've tried to recruit some additional family members to be reviewing articles, not just family partnerships, but other types of articles and doing a little bit of coaching. But one of the other big things we've done is we've created a a blog called Family Connections with Pediatrics blog, where it's myself and a core crew of bloggers that each month from the edition, we select an article or two that really interests us or one that we really think, gosh, if families are going to read any journal articles or clinical reports or policy statements from the AAP, this is something that they need to read. And so In plain language, we pull out really key parts of an article to kind of encourage families to really connect with the article and then also include some, what in the world do you do with this article? You know, I just wrote one on code discussions and advanced care planning in children with cardiac issues. I wrote the, what do you do with this? You know, even if your child doesn't have cardiac issues, they have another serious illness. There's some nuggets in here that can help you start a conversation with your child's doctor or specialist or a family member about how do we talk about end-of-life issues. I think you're being too modest. These blogs at the end say, go to your pediatrician or your family physician or your nurse practitioner or your PA and share this article and ask about how this impacts your child if it hasn't been discussed already. This is an empowerment piece, which I would love to be able to know how many families are doing this. They're written so nicely, and it's the family voice from the start to finish, but at the end, there's a call to action, because it's this will shock all of the listeners, but maybe people don't have time to read a journal. But when families can get this particular blog and see there's an article that affects my child may have disability or need complex care and can bring that article to a pediatrician's attention. Oh my gosh, that's an endorphin surge for me as an editor to know that we own it together to get the message across. Kara, thank you for creating these monthly columns. I love reading them. Uh, I love when you have other families who want to write the blogs as well as the coaching you give to families. These articles go through peer review, just like any other article. Families work hard on these pieces, and we now have quite a number of them that are really collectibles, and we're thinking about even putting them together into a volume because they really are a group of empowering pieces. I think it's also worth noting that, you know, the blog is created by families and for families, but that it's also incredibly valuable for pediatricians and other members of the care team to provide some of the language for how to talk about emerging evidence with families and whether and how it should influence care, which is along similar lines to the mission of this podcast. Um, In the spirit of sharing, how did we do this? You know, what is it like as an editorial board to be going through these changes? Can you tell us more about how you work together and make decisions about what evidence is worth sharing? 
let me set the table a little bit, Katie, and then Kara can tell you what it's like to be in the room where it happens. I really need the wisdom of crowds to help with decision making. So every weekend after we've gotten reviews in for articles, we come together and Katie, I know you joined us to experience this, but a group of six, eight, 10 of us come together and we open the doors. In fact, if, if listeners would like to see sort of how a bill becomes a law, you can get in contact with me and I will arrange for you to join us on a weekend. We have many guests who come in to watch this. I want this transparent and I want this inclusive. But what happens is that everybody's voice counts. Um, we have trainees, we have medical students, we have nurses, we have people from all walks of life. We've had, again, caregivers, and we have obviously even have authors who say, I can't believe you rejected my article. I got to see how this works. And we welcome them. And when they come in, everybody's voice counts. The only thing we give people access to the articles three to four days before we meet. These calls last for a couple of hours. We'll do 60 plus articles a week. What happens is we talk about them and we listen to everyone's voices. And so we're not asking the public member to be a, a statistician or an epidemiologist, but we are there to say, is this important? And is this something that you think the public would want to know about? Why is this so important to you? And so that voice is so important in making the decision. I've done this for since 2009, that every weekend we open the, the process of making the decision. And people may not have realized that, um, that we have guests, that we keep it open. We respect confidentiality. Obviously, you sign a, a non-disclosure agreement. But the bottom line is, is that it has become something that people can really understand what makes a good article, what doesn't. When you have family partnership articles, Kara's the lead. Also, what really impresses me is when we have regular studies, Kara chimes right in and we're listening really carefully, um, just like we would to anybody on that call. I've always referred to the Sunday calls in my work in pediatrics as being like the Wizard of Oz and I've seen behind the curtain or whatever. And gosh, when you go behind the curtain, it is just as Lewis described, like it took me a while to understand what was going on. And it took me a while to read all the articles <laughs> to prep for the weekend call. But then I got a rhythm and then I felt more confident in the first time that I was like, actually, I think this article does or does not do this. And then having everybody listen, it was to me, the embodiment to a partnership. It works better than for everyone. The articles then that produced and the additions are better because so many voices weigh in and it's that collective voice. It really is a democracy. In preparation for this episode, you kindly invited me to participate in a review meeting. And it really is like what you're saying. I, you know, I wasn't a witness to the decision-making process. I was truly encouraged to be part of it. You know, everyone had an equal space on the Zoom screen and opportunity to share any relevant expertise or perspective they had to offer. You know, I found the biggest focus was on the so what factor of the article. It was about why it matters in addition to whether it was methodologically sound. And I think the the inclusive nature of this process, you know, where everyone has a stake in whether the study is going to make a meaningful difference in the lives of children and families is something that will really resonate with our complex care and disability community. Lewis, I think you're going to get a flood of requests to join these calls after this episode airs. Are there any other insights or tips that you have for researchers in our community? One other thing that I just will tell all of your listeners is that I, I read cover letters that come with papers. 
telling me that this has ramifications for families, for children with medical complexity, to, to wake me up, to say, why would we want to publish that? Tell me your story in that cover letter, and we're going to review you. We really are. And there have been, I can't begin to tell you the number of articles where I've then brought it in on Sunday to say, did you look at the cover letter about why we're talking about this paper? And it can be a game changer. We may have to help reshape that article, but we're not going to let it go because somebody had the passion or the idea or the inspiration or the lived experience that they need to now study it and fix a system or make something better for children that go forward. And I would miss that without telling that piece. Just like when a trainee says, this is my first paper. Well, you can't put that in your article. But if I see that, of course, we're going to peer review you. Tell us the why this is so important to you. And we know it is. And therefore, we need to respect that importance and give you the feedback you need, even if we're not going to publish it. And that's, again, something that we look at. And I, I thank Karen and others for really making sure I understand the why as much as the what and was it done with reliability, validity, is it generalizable, all the things that you would think about for a traditional scientific study. That is so helpful to hear. Kara, I think a lot of our research teams would have some wonderful insights to share for the family partnerships column and may not have been aware of this opportunity. Who should be thinking about submitting to this article type and what do they need to know? Anybody who has worked in partnership in some way, either with individual level with a child with medical complexity or disability or in quality improvement, in research, in some sort of advisory capacity or bigger systems change work where you've worked together in partnership and you want a bit of a different way. There was additional learnings, not just the scientific study that came from it, and you want a place to report it and share and pass it forward. So you get ideas to do it, but also the how to do it. How do you work as a team? They almost are a conversation back and forth between multiple authors. So it's, I'd like to say it's a fun, different kind of article. As a, authors of it helps you step outside and maybe gives additional perspective let me make two points to sort of build on what Kara said. First of all, we're very accessible. I would much rather hear from you before you submit your work to say, is this appropriate for your journal? I mean, we cannot read the full paper, but an abstract or a thought, or is this something your audience is interested in? We would much rather hear that at the front door than have your paper then go into the process. I mean, we move quickly. But we know and can respect authors for wanting to get feedback as quickly as possible. But giving us a, a, a pre-show of, is this something we would be interested in? It's still dependent on peer review, but we can answer that quickly. And for family partnerships, I think you might say right now, if you're listening, this wouldn't be a family partnership. I disagree. Call Kara, 1-800-CARA, okay? <laughs> and she will tell you that we can make lemonade because you have a willingness to want to shape this piece with a healthcare professional and a caregiver. And again, if it happens to be an adolescent who has been through an experience and working with their team, we welcome that. Okay. I mean, if yeah. they can write and when meet authorship criteria, that's great. And my second point is to check your implicit biases of what pediatrics the journal is at the door. If you think it's the journal you looked at even a couple of years ago, please open it up, go to the website, Look at what's there. Look at the video abstract. Look at the kinds of things that we're doing to reshape 
what this journal is supposed to achieve to improve the care of children, particularly children who require complex care or have disabilities. We don't take a lot of articles into the journal. We give much more feedback because we're really thinking all the time, trying to, to channel my inner Kara and say, <laughs> what would work here in terms of making sure families see this as a partnership on the journal as much as it is in the care system that their child is involved in. That's really interesting hearing how the journal has evolved over the years. It's our 75th anniversary as a journal. And we could sit and we, we could have our cake and eat it too, but we wanted to do more for our 75th year. And again, for your listeners, this is all accessible on the website. We've done several things. Number one is obviously we've written about all of the things we've talked about on this podcast and how the journal has evolved into this model of really being a shared decision maker that focuses around patient and family-centered care. Um, and with a special emphasis, for example, on children with medical complexity and disability. But number two, we have an article by Dr. Andrew Cruz and, and Dr. Jeff Baker about what we've gotten wrong over 75 years. And it's eye-opening. And it's available to the world. But there are a series of, I guess, rabbit holes that, that we all went down at various decades that nobody had the intent to necessarily go the wrong way. But we did, and we put it all out there as part of our transparency. And the third thing we've given back is that we asked every section in council, section to look back and pick one paper from each of the three quarter centuries, 25 years, that truly influenced the field that they are in. Um, and these are all available on a web. This is like a, a history archive of incredible moments in the evolution of child healthcare in this country and around the world. Um, I, I was stunned. I mean, we had 50 to 60 sections do this piece of work to each pick a paper. And if you just, whatever your specialty is or a family member, you may want to take a look at how the field has evolved to give your child the care that they're getting in 2023 that was very different back in 1948 going forward and who knows before then. This is a chance to look back over what we've given back to celebrate our first 75 years. And I can only imagine where we're going for the next 75. Yeah, the AAP's Council on Children with Disabilities wrote a commentary for the 75th anniversary and Christy, Emily, Kilby and I contributed to that piece. And the group couldn't pick one article. We chose pieces from each quarter century to show how language and perspectives changed you know, seeing more of a shared approach where family-led organizations started to be represented in AAP policy statements and really how the field has evolved for children with disabilities. So I've been thinking about how complex care has been highlighted in pediatrics. You know, just a couple of examples. The definitional framework for children with medical complexity as an emerging population by A.L. Cohen et al. was published in pediatrics in 2011 and has been cited over 1,100 times. The journal has published supplements. There was one in 2018 on building systems that work for children with complex health care needs. And recently, the Blueprint for Change supplement in 2022 that I know, Kara, you contributed to that as well. And certainly, we've identified a number of scientific studies just this past year that we've highlighted on the podcast as being practice changing. And there are many more that we haven't even mentioned. And so, Lewis, you mentioned the next 75 years. I would love to hear from both of you. What are your visions for the journal? What should the complex care and disability community look for in pediatrics moving forward? It really is listening to everyone on our editorial board, listening to our readers to help shape 
where they want the journal to go. And we've created a series of articles. We have advocacy case studies. We have quality improvement case studies. And we, at our recent editorial board meeting at the National Conference and Exhibition, there was a discussion that people who are working on policy, doesn't have to be AAP policy, but working with their city council, with their schools, et cetera, to try and change how we're providing care or how we can make sure that children with medical complexity are treated and included in schools and community groups, et cetera, that how did you do that? How did you make that policy? What were the barriers? What do you need to get done? I think we're going to be doing more and more of that because it's about that's different than an advocacy case study. It's setting policy. We also need to create pathways for sustainability. That what I'm describing, the question is, will the next generation of families and care providers pick up the ball and truly take it further with this? You know, maybe there'll be an entire journal of family partnerships, that there would be enough articles to be able to create and branch off and spin off. But one of the things we're doing is thinking about how do we train reviewers and bloggers and communicators to take our messages and realize that we have to fix the language. We have to make these articles understood both internally amongst those of us who do the care provision, but externally as well. How do we take an article? It's got great science. Make sure it doesn't sit on a shelf, but goes further. And how do we create in this next group of trainees the love of seeing you shape something that while I'm not the author of these articles, to know that we are through that journal, you have the ability to improve the care to a child with medical complexity, disability by getting that message out, not just to me, but to and not just to somebody who picks up the journal, but to people who don't have subscriptions to get it out there. I think that's where we're putting our focus right now so that we're not the best kept secret in pediatrics. But I would love more and more that families begin to say there was an article in pediatrics that I think is going to improve the care to my child. And that's where I think we need to continue to move. Not to, we're not dumbing down the science, but we're showing that the science belongs to all of us. And I believe we're going to continue to do more and more of that as we look to the future. Yeah, it's putting it in plain language because it's guiding the care of our children. And so, of course, we need to have access to it and have it make sense, take it and translate it into our lives. The vision for the next 75 years, I want that in 75 years, there's no need for a separate family partnerships article type, that it is so commonplace that every article submitted has a family co-author in some way, that there is in all research done systematically in quality improvement, research, um, any systems change, policy, advocacy, there is a patient and family partner or multiple that are a part of it and part of producing the article that really shapes the evidence base that guides all of us as a team in how to provide care or how to change policy. Those are all really powerful messages to end on. I just want to give you an opportunity before we close. Is there anything else you want to share? I just want to thank your listeners for what they do day in and day out. It is very hard to pull over to the side of the road and write something, but it is equally hard to be there for families and for families to be and understand the shared decision-making that needs to go into the care we're providing to children with medical complexity, medical disabilities. So I'm going to sing to the unsung heroes who are listening to this podcast to say, the work you're doing is so essential. And thanks to what you're doing, we're going to try and be there with you every step of the way in the same way you're with us. All children are important, but the work that you are doing to give these children their opportunity to shine 
is really special, and we want to make sure our journal is right there to help you. So if families are listening, thank you for making this a team effort. And please, you know, you're welcome to come visit us at Pediatrics anytime. You know, just listening to Lewis's comments there too. I mean, it is just the vision of like real teamwork in this. We call it a care team and it's really hard in real life every day for patients, families, clinicians, every on the, everybody on the interprofessional team to come together and work together. It's painful, it's messy, but it's also gosh darn beautiful when it happens. Thank you so much for your time, Lewis and Kara, and thank you to you both for championing family partnerships in research in pediatrics and particularly in complex care and disability. And thank you for listening to the Complex Care Journal Club podcast. We aim to highlight research that has the potential to be practice changing, that values patient and family engagement, is relevant across disciplines and diagnoses, and uses high quality or novel research methods. We invite you to join the conversation by suggesting an article that you would like to see discussed in this podcast using the form provided on the Open Pediatrics YouTube channel. We'll look forward to connecting with you all again in 2024. Thank you for joining us.